Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, the former Prime Minister David Cameron talks about the 752 pages of his autobiography for the record. Catherine Kelly tells us all about her new Netflix crime thriller, Criminal. Phil Daniels looks back on the seminal film Quadrophenia as Sky Arts marks its 40th anniversary in style. And political heavyweight journalist John Sopel tells us about spending time at the White House with Donald Trump in his brand new book, A Year in the White House. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years, you've probably heard of our next guest. His highly anticipated autobiography, For the Record, is out now in hardback. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. It's David Cameron. Good morning, David Cameron. Good morning. Great to be with you. And uh, Now, over here, I've got some copious notes, all right? Okay. Right, I can see piles I've made of them. M- more notes here uh, for this interview with you than I ever did for any of my O-levels. Now, I know you, you, you achieved 12 O-levels and uh, three levels that, that dates both of us that yeah. it's o levels rather than gcse's well, that it, it um, does it does and um, we're almost the same age you're still playing catch up but that's fair enough that's allowed uh, now in the preparation for an interview uh, to be yep. asked questions okay to be mm. asked questions or to answer questions you've done this a lot because you did it you pre- you helped john major prepare for pmqs yes okay you helped michael howard to yep. prepare for PMQs, and then you helped yourself to prepare for PMQs. Yes. Okay, so so any tips? Well, what I ended up doing, actually, yeah. was I had lots of people to help me, uh-huh. and lots of material was produced, but I ended up, for the last half an hour or so, before Premises Questions, with a folder and some scissors and some sellotape, and I literally started sticking things down myself, yep. because I found that was the only way I could remember where everything was. Right. Um, but often in the heat of Premises Questions, you you just make it up as you go along because you can't find the bit of paper even though you stuck it down yourself yeah, but you still it, couldn't find but it but also it was there wasn't it because you'd been through it because you were meticulous about PMQs weren't you well it was. it is the most nerve wracking um, half an hour of the week the Prime Minister has because you can be asked anything by anybody and although you probably know some of the questions from your own side because sometimes your colleagues are friendly enough to say I might ask you about this hospital or that school or what have you but the rest of it you haven't got a clue about and the the dividing line between a good answer that works and a disastrous answer where you flop completely is so narrow that yeah. one minute you're up and sailing and the next minute you're absolutely blushing because you've totally um, messed up. But you say, and you talk about this in the book, I find it, I find it all fascinating. This particularly though, because I, I, preparing questions to be answered is, is sort of what I do for a living. And you said that on balance, it was far better to be on the receiving end of PMQs yes. than asking them. Now tell us so, the logic well, behind I, that I, answer. Well, I've spent five years as leader of the opposition asking first Tony Blair, then Gordon Brown um, questions. And although you only had to ask six questions, so how hard is that in a way? You you didn't get the last word. They always had the comeback. And it, I just sort of found it, I found it harder. When you're Prime Minister, you've got a record to defend. Yeah. Now, you've got some difficult things to explain and all of that. But at least you can, you can try and explain what you're 
trying to do. Whereas when you're leader of the opposition, you're just making propositions and, and what have you. So I preferred, I found it easier actually answering the questions than, than asking them. But both were pretty nerve-wracking. And then when Jeremy Corbyn started, started first of all, he, he started to cite questions from, the, from emails that he'd received uh, fr- from, um, from constituents. Yeah, from members uh, of the public. Which was a nice idea, but then you've, you, you said well, you very I quickly... Found, you found it easy to deal with very quickly well, because... because you're longing at Prime Minister's questions to actually answer proper questions about why doesn't this benefit work or why isn't that hospital operating or why is the economic policy not working and so these questions from the public were very straightforward genuine non-trap questions whereas often the leader of the opposition will find some you know ask you something you don't want to answer so I found it quite refreshing actually just being able to explain what I was trying to do so uh, I think Jeremy Corbyn thought it was a good um, wheeze, but actually it turned out to be something I, I rather enjoyed. How has this week been? How have that seven days been? Well, obviously, I've spent three years saying relatively little because I genuinely wanted um, to let my successor get on with what was a very difficult job. And it is hard enough being Prime Minister without having your predecessor giving a running commentary. Uh, but I also think Prime Ministers at some stage should write a memoir and say, um, it's not really a history book. It's not going over all the paperwork so much. It's just what you thought, what you felt, why you did what you did to try and put that down, I get, I down get for that. the record. So so this week, though, has been, for me, sort of suddenly being back on the television and radio and um, has been uh, interesting. And, and it's reminded me of how many um, pitfalls and uh, traps there are. And yesterday I managed to... Um, uh, I managed to inadvertently swear on breakfast television, on mm-hmm. the morning television. That wasn't a great um, uh, success. Um, but, but I've enjoyed being able to try and explain myself, but uh, it, it's, it's challenging. What's been the stickiest bit of the week for you? Um, I think after I'd said what I said on um, this morning on the television, trying to recover from that because basically everyone was... Um, had lost the plot a bit and was giggling and I, I couldn't sort of get it back a bit and I was as I said it when you know you're on live television you say something stupid you're just thinking oh god how did that happen what, what came out of my mouth um, and so that was a bit of a, a nervous moment have you read any reviews David of your um, book, I, I, I have I read oh, one in the foolish. Daily Mail um, which which was alright actually um, are you going to sure... read are you going to read all the others I don't... I've read it's them all. a bit like politicians saying we yeah. never look at the polls. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Uh, I think the idea you write a book and you don't read the reviews, I think you're probably going to. It's going to be... It's just too easy now. Everything's on your phone. Well, you I could, think... You know. I mean, I've read all of them this morning uh, before we came on well, the air here. And they, they, all, they all say what you would expect them to say. Right. I think so. No surprises anywhere there. And they're all making their own points, and fair enough. Yeah. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all. All right, I'm going to leave you or ask you to leave us with one binary question. All oh, right. Okay. The best... Tory Prime Minister that the Tory party never had in the last 50 years, Ken Clark or Michael Heseltine? Um, I'm a big Heseltine fan. Um, uh, I think he's got a great vision for how we have a more decentralised country, how we build up the great cities of the north of England. Uh, and I think in a world where we're all battling with how do you respond to Look, globalisation's been a good thing, but some people and some areas have lost out. And I think Michael has some of the best answers for how to lift up parts of the country that potentially can get left behind. 
and I've always been a big fan. Okay. All right, good. Uh, now, you have got to go. Thank you for being here. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I could ask you uh, whether you want to remain or leave now. Uh, but oh, well, you... I'd like to remain in a reformed Virgin Radio studio, <laughs> right. I suppose, is the answer right. <laughs> but... It's lovely. The sun is shining. There's this fantastic views, but I've got a, a couple of podcasts yeah. to do. Well, so... you can leave, but it'll be OK. <laughs> All you. right. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> that was just a mere morsel of our conversation with David Cameron. You can hear the whole thing by downloading our special one-off podcast, which you'll find in the usual places. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's walked down Coronation Street, shopped at Mr Selfridge and is now interrogating in the groundbreaking new Netflix series Criminal. As we slam the desk, shine a bright light in her eyes and get her to tell us everything she knows, please welcome the wonderful Catherine Kelly. Round of applause, everyone. Here we go. Now we have a proper live audience. It's all very exciting. Catherine, welcome, yes. welcome. Thank you, Chris. All right, so that was the ex-Prime Minister. Um, and now you said he's been following you around all week. Is that I think he has, okay. yes. Tell us about that. Well, I, I was on this morning yesterday yeah. and, um, and he was, he's definitely following him around. He's, he's giving me the cold shoulder. He's trying to sort of pretend that he's not, but he is, really. Did, were you, <laughs> did you witness his, his uh, potty mouthing yesterday on the telly? I did, yes. I didn't hear about that. What, what happened? Well, I can't say it, can I? You can write I've it been down. told literally just before I came on this show. Don't swear. Okay, uh, no, but this is sort of uh, you know, it's in context. It's uh, what did he say? He said, "Oh, did he really?" Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and why? Why did he say that? What happened? What, uh, he didn't mean to. No, he meant what, to say something else. But what had happened for him to to call? I think he was just nervous of Phil and Holly. I mean, really? I think yeah, he was. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen your your thing, and I'm really sorry because I was sent it, but I was reading this 752-page book, and I'm not the quickest reader. Uh, however, lots of the team have seen your show, and I'm going to watch it this weekend, and they are raving about it. All right. Good. Yes. So there are 12 of these. Uh, they're on Netflix, and they're shot in real time. Yeah. 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 Uh, t- tell us what the what the what the substance is. Sure. Criminal um, is almost entirely set in a pre- in a police interview room right um and um, i play di natalie hobbs i work for the metropolitan police and i lead a team of detective inspectors who um specialize in interview techniques so every episode and they're standalone episodes we have a new suspect and it's our job to determine whether they are guilty or innocent um and i suppose there's a great tradition of interview scenes in in more traditional police dramas, of course. It's usually the climax of the show, the moment we've all been waiting for, the showdown. Um, and they normally, you normally arrive as an audience member at those scenes with some preconceived ideas because you've been following either the police or the criminal suspects or both. But this show, you meet the suspect at exactly the same time the police do. So you also have to ascertain whether you think they're guilty or innocent right, so 12 of these there's 12 so no, it's, it's such a, it's simple but it's so it's so original it's, though isn't it yeah yeah well it's it's brave it's stark it's naked yes it's yes all those things and and take that climax of the interview and blow it up into a whole episode yeah. and that's what this is and there's 12 episodes but the first three are the uk criminal episodes and then the next three are set in spain the next three France, the next three, Germany. So they work as mini-series. Right. Um, so, But they're all on the same set. They always have a female detective boss. But apart from that, they're all, they're all standalone. So back in the day, you'd make a show and it would be a success and then different countries would remake it, right? Yep. And apparently, like, there's Doc Martins everywhere all over the Can't world. Can't make them, yeah. So, um, but they... 
that with this, you know, Netflix have just done that. They've made the remakes all in one big confident move. As a character, yes. Right? Did you have a, a more a more prominent character thought for your interviewer than what was the, what was the most important thing that you that you bore in mind? You yeah. bore within yourself for this. Yes. Okay. Well, it was a very. I mean, it's a very original show, and it was a very original show to work on because it's reams of dialogue, and actually. I learnt it like I would learn a play. I learnt it from start to finish, which is unusual for a TV show. So really, um, I had everything, you know, we could have rolled the camera and, and started and, and gone all the way to the end. So really, my whole thing was Hayley Atwell is sat opposite me for the episode where I, I'm the interrogator. And it was just listen. Just listen. listen. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because listen. you've sat with this dialogue, you've learnt this dialogue so well, and actually yeah. you could be in your own head thinking about that and waiting for your cues. And really, the job of a, of a police detective in that situation is to just watch for every single tell. Right. So all my attention was on her. All episodes available today on Netflix. How do you feel about the all episodes available today phenomenon? I like it. I do too. Yeah, I'm I all or it. nothing as a, as a person what anyway, you, so it suits me. What are you watching at the moment? Binge. I love um, Succession. Yes. The HBO show. Tick, tick. Absolutely where, brilliant. Where are you up to? I'm up to episode four, season two. Yeah, and no, I haven't started season two yet. Okay. I watched the first three episodes on... I've got young children, so right. I watch most things on planes these days. Yeah. And I watched the first three episodes and I thought, I don't hate these. I don't want to watch this. As soon as I got off the plane, I got yeah, <laughs> and downloaded in. it. it amazing. You don't have to like them amazing. to want to watch them, do you? No, but the fact that it stirs something in you, I think, yeah. is what's brilliant you know there's so much to choose from it's got to do that to yeah me now. wild animals often, often provide uh, <laughs> excellent sport to both spectate and participate in don't you think I shall think about that. What about Brassic? Have you seen Brassic? No, I haven't seen Brassic. I can't believe you haven't seen Brassic. Oh. No, you love it. Well, it's the, it's the most successful thing Sky have had comedy-wise for a decade. Is it, it? Is, it is so good. You'd love it. Have you, okay. heard, have you heard of it? Yeah, heard of it. All right, yeah. you've got to watch it. Six, okay. one hours. All episodes available now. Hooray! Boom. All right, okay. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're all over uh, Netflix. All episodes available from today on Netflix. What are you up to? What else are you up to before you go, please? Um, the second series of Liar. Hurrah. Which was on ITV a few years ago. Hurrah. That's going to be out at the beginning of next year. Yep. Um, yeah, and then just a few other bits and pieces. I'm hoping to do a bit of theatre soon. Yep. It's been five years since I've been on stage. Excellent. I feel like I should flex those muscles again. All right. I, I think we, you have a great stillness about you anyway. And oh, I think that you thanks. bring this. It's very important, isn't it, when you're playing a character to have that stillness? Yes, it can be very useful. It's about, things, yeah. what, it's about what you don't say, isn't it? It's because I'm really listening to you. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> You've been interrogating people for too long. You could yeah. help me out with David I'm Cameron. Watching your pupils move. Oh, no, yeah. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> well, I did have a glass of two red wine like, just to calm me down. Yes. All right, thank yes. you for being here. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. It's been 40 years since the release of the generation defining classic Quadrophenia, and Sky Arts are celebrating. Here to tell us more about some special upcoming programs is the star of the film and a man that's never been intimidated by the dirty pigeons. He loves a bit of it. It's the one and only Phil Daniels. Come on, everyone. Hey. Phil Daniels. Ah. All right, Phil. Yes, thank you. How's it going? Good. Okay. Um, Good. How excited should we be about this whole uh, Quadrophenia 40th anniversary on Sky Arts? I think very. 
Very excited, really. Yes, okay. you, you'll see us all talking about all those years ago. And we're all still alive. <laughs> all of uh, you. Well, you know, Michael Elphick's gone. Yeah, God yeah. rest his soul, yeah. and a few others. But all the gang are still alive. Yeah. So forty years on, um, can you take us back to when you first? First of all, for people to know uh, who do you play, uh, what's it about, etc., etc., etc. For the newbies around, I play a, a mod. Yeah. which is very important for this film, uh, called Jimmy, yeah. who's, um, you know, gets out with the lads, becomes very disillusioned with being a mod, goes down to Brighton for the weekend, has punch-ups with mods and rockers and has lots of fun, falls in love with a girl called Steph and she doesn't really love him. It's somewhat unrequited, to say it's the least. It's somewhat unrequited, to say the least. She's out playing the field, which is quite interesting because, you know, a film about girls playing the fields is, you know, a good thing. Yeah, and uh, there's a, the house party, uh, like, there's the house party to end all house parties. Um, there is indeed. And I hadn't been to one when I watched it because I was too young and I thought they were all like that, and then it didn't turn out to be. So thanks for raising that particular <laughs> bar a little bit too high. <laughs> Not my fault. OK, no, very good. Um, uh, scooters, scooters uh, motorcycles. Lots Lots of scooters, lots, lots of, scooters, of motorbikes. Amazing soundtrack. Lots of swearing. Yeah. Lots of working Very class lads. You know, okay. girls. It's one of those movies that can either make or break uh, the future career of anybody that's in it because it was so such a signature uh, movie of it, its time. How did you fare before, during, and afterwards? Um, before. How did I, you get the gig? First I, I got the gig. I auditioned for it. I'd, I'd, I'd done a film called Zulu Dawn, which was a prequel of Zulu. And um, I think I got a, a phone call in a mud hut. That Bob Hoskins <laughs> had a phone in a mud hut. And uh, I got a phone call hang, saying... Hang on, hang on. Just put pause, pause. Uh, what's that about, that bit of the story? Uh, Bob think, Hoskins had well, a phone in a mud hut. Yeah. I, I saw he had a massive posh house in Hampstead. Where he did, did. Where was the, was the mud did, hut in the back garden? I think when he did the film, he... he, he put in his contract that he wanted to live in like a Zulu in a mud hut. Oh, I see. So he did, but had a phone in it, which I suppose <laughs> not many Zulus have phones in mud huts. But, uh, yeah, I got a call on that saying, you know, they were making the film and um, would I, you know, when I come back, do an audition. And so I were, did. What were the pre-rumblings about it? I mean, did, did you have any idea it was going to be, you know, was the script in great demand? Uh, was the director hot at the time? Was it, What was it like beforehand? No, the director, the director was, uh, he'd done lots of documentaries. He did a documentary called Dummy. His name's Frank Rodham. Right. So it was it was kind of gritty. It was going to be a gritty film and not like a Pete Townsend, like Tommy, which was, yeah. you know, a bit more airy-fairy. Theatrical. Uh, theatrical, that's the word we're looking for, yes. isn't it? Yeah. But very, it was very rah, gritty. Rah. It was very gritty, of course. And, and when it came out, uh, was it an instant hit? Because I don't know, to be honest. I, I, don't think, I think people really liked it, but I think they just thought, you know, I think the papers reviewed it like, what's a load of oiks doing on, on right. our cinema screen? So when did it catch light? How quick was it to catch light? I think when DVDs and oh, VHS really? started coming out, it became a bigger... A big phenomenon. A, a bigger phenomenon. And did you get on whilst making the film as a gang? We did indeed. What, what completely? Well, yeah, unanimously? I mean, we had, because we were cheap, I think, we, they, <laughs> uh, they, they sort of had three weeks beforehand where we all met up and hired motorbikes and all went off together, got drunk together, right. did things together. OK, and what happened after the table reading? Please, t don't tell me you all went home, went your separate ways. Every, I don't, I don't want to know. Everybody no, please got don't. absolutely hammered. Yes! Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, know, you're probably lying, but it's just what I want to hear. Yeah, I know, I know. Did anybody all... go anywhere for any cold beverages afterwards together at all? We all stayed up all night. 
Honestly? Yeah, we'll talk oh, blues, that's... yeah. No, 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 obviously, obviously, no, you didn't. You didn't do that, did you? No, we didn't do that. No, we all went. Give me we all got in our limos and went off to the country to our piles. Watch the truth. There's my David Cameron questions. I'm going to keep those. Go on. God. What did you do? What was it? I was, I was waiting. I'm not amused. I was waiting to ask him whether he was a mod or a rocker. Yeah. Okay, well, he's still in the building. Do you, do you want us to run that question no, down? No, they soon? wouldn't let me in the toilet with him. His bodyguards. <laughs> he hasn't got bodyguards still, has he? Really? He's got loads of them. All right. Well, what else can you tell us about what we're going to watch tomorrow on the telly? Because you, you've got to go to Talk Sport in a minute. What? Uh, apparently. Have I? Yes, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so come on, tell us more about tomorrow. Any Anything else? Come on. Well, no. The, people to watch tomorrow. Yeah, you know, Quadrophenia, the uh, documentary, is great. I mean, Bill Kirbishly talks about it and, you know, it's all the... It's fun. Are there many events? And Johnny uh, Rotten, apparently, yeah. was going to be Jimmy. Uh, and what else are you doing? Apart from, are you still running around Hampstead keeping fit? Uh, I've got a bad knee at the moment, but I still like to keep fit and run. Okay, that's the last time I run around Hyde Park now. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. So you've moved? I have moved. All right. Uh, and, and what else? Tell us something else. Um, Billy Piper. I'm doing something with Billy Piper. Is I'm this playing her dad? This is for Sky. It is for Sky. It's a Sky original. Yes. And there was a read-through yesterday. I couldn't go because I was doing something. There was a read-through yesterday because yes. I heard about this because we broadcast live from Sky yesterday Yes. and the people in charge of the commission to do with Billy's new show, which apparently is amazing. Uh, she's also... Do she, have you talked to her about her film? No, I haven't yet. Okay, she has the film, a film that premiered at the Venice Film Festival. I mean, that's wow. pretty cool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's cool. Okay, and your film has to be good to get in that. She wrote, she stars in and directed that, and she's pretty similar as far as this is concerned. How many episodes of The New Thing? I'm going to be in one episode. One episode. And by the way, obviously I know her dad. Uh, all right. You are literally the spits. All right, that's why. Have you met him? <laughs> no, I haven't yet. Oh, my no, God, no. I can't wait to... Can I come to that one? <laughs> yes, of course. I'll be the designated driver for that. Is that OK? Yes. All right, good. All right, Phil, lovely all to right, talk man. to you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Sam Warburton opens up about his rugby career. Anthony Maras, Jason Isaacs and Nazanin Boniardi discuss the brilliant new Sky original movie, Hotel Mumbai. Jason Plato shares stories from his new autobiography, including the time actual Michael Schumacher tore off his trousers. And the brilliant Dr. Megan Rossi tells us how to take care of our guts. All that and more, but first, Dapper Dave, who's next? He's had front row tickets at the greatest and most terrifying show on earth. His new book, A Year at the Circus, Inside. Trump's White House takes us warts and all deep into the belly of the beast. <laughs> Please welcome a man that knows words. He has the best words. It's the debonair John Sopel. Woo! 
Good morning, John. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Very well. Um, this book uh, made me um, laugh uproariously and scared the living daylights out of me. Was it similar to right? Uh, well, there are stories that you... Even when you're writing them down, you think, I can't really believe that happened. Yep. He didn't really say that, did he? Uh-huh. Those events didn't really unfold, and they did, and they do, and they continue to unfold. And so, so I come, I've come back to the UK, and it's lovely to be back in Britain. It's all going terribly well here, isn't it? Um, and you, and you kind of, <laughs> and you're kind of watching this kind of ghastly kindness of the Brexit process unfolding, and it's also depressing. Everyone hates each other, and everyone's shouting at each other. At least with Donald Trump, we get some laughs. I mean, as far as I know, Boris Johnson hasn't yet tried to buy Greenland. Yep. And Donald Trump did. <laughs> and when the Danes said, we're not going to sell it to you, he said, well, right, I'm calling off the state visit. And, it, you know, the, things like that just don't happen here. There's, yeah, stuff, but, but, there's some but, stuff that's just incredible. But we're getting laughs at the expense of um, the US president. Are the US citizens not getting laughs at the expense of our prime minister? Is that the deal? Is that why we're not... You can only laugh at somebody else's leader, not your own. Well, there's, a, there's an element of truth in that. In the, although I would say that in America, they don't know that much about what's happening in the UK. They're, not, they're, they're so insular yeah. and they're not very interested in the outside world. I mean, a lot of Americans come up to me and say, oh my God, you must think our politics is so messed up. And I say, have you seen what's happening at Westminster? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you want a comparison. But yes, I mean, they have watched a bit of late of what's happened and they're obviously you know seeing Boris Johnson as a sort of prototype uh, Donald Trump and in, with a very similar sort of pers- force of personality able to reach out to people in a way that you know ordinary politicians seem unable to and so they do connect and, and you know people are joining the dots between Trump and Boris. How hard does he work? Um, well, he would say that he works extremely hard. But we had there was this whole leak of papers. Someone printed off three months' worth of his daily schedule. And what it showed was that in the course of this diary, there was a huge amount of something called executive time. And I know that when the state <laughs> visit and I know that when the state visit was being planned for the UK, they had to build in executive time executive time broadly speaking means watching fox tv and tweeting so one of the, but donald trump also sometimes hate watches he watches the programs that really detest him and he was watching uh, this show where the host is a guy called joe scarborough who used to be a former republican uh, congressman and joe scarborough tweets donald trump must he says on air rather donald trump must be the laziest president ever And within 30 seconds, Donald Trump replies on Twitter, I am the hardest working president ever. He hadn't thought that through. Mm. He was clearly watching television television at the the time. time. Unbelievable. He had a go at you once, didn't he, John, in a big White House press briefing. What is that like? Unreal. I mean, I kind of think that if my mother had still been alive, she would have thought, oh, my God, my son is at the White House at a news conference. And then she would have thought, oh, my God, the president is having a go at him. And my son is answering the leader of the free world back. So, Donald, so I, I had barely got the first syllable out of my mouth when Donald Trump goes, where are you from? And I go, um, uh, BBC News, another beauty. And I and I say, so I start, I said, well, actually, Mr. President, we're free, fair and impartial because, yeah, like CNN. And it, and, it, and it carried on like that. And I'm thinking, this is unreal. And then I so I tried to ask my question. And I said, oh, we could banter back and forth. And then I started asking my question. He said, sit down, sit down. And I carried on answering my question. He said, sit down. I know who you are. And at which point I get tweet uh, messages from my kids saying, he knows who you are. And my <laughs> My wife said, should we pack? Are we going home now? And, and, 
you know, and it was just one of those things that you think this is this is extraordinary. It was so. I suppose I was nervous. I became more nervous afterwards. It's like one of those things where you you suddenly blush after you've made the the yeah, screw yeah, up yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of suddenly felt my heart beating very fast. In what way? Because you, it was it was it was uh, it was funny, curious, but was it genuinely ever concerning? No, because I thought actually I I wanted to be. I look. I you know this news conference was raucous and it was the first presidential news conference he'd given in the east room of the white house and i you know i got a very early question but i'd seen what his mood was like and so i expected him to come after me and i thought i'm going to be very bbc and british about this i'm going to be polite but i'm going to push back firmly so no we're not biased you know we're not kind of what you say we are and that was sort of so that was fine but uh, but you know you just then you kind of then sort of take the kid John Sopel who could never imagine that he would have ever been sitting in the White House to the reality of what had just happened and I just thought this is extraordinary this is extraordinary and America is in for an extraordinary ride where you know what he says can often bear very little relation to reality but he's going to, in in many people's opinion, he's going to secure yeah. a second term because yeah. he is actually doing loosely what he said he would do to the Absolutely. people who, for the people who voted for him. Yeah, completely. And and they feel really. I think his approval ratings among Republicans, who are the you know the party he represents, ninety five percent. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn does not have ninety five percent approval ratings among Labour supporters. You know, uh, Boris Johnson doesn't have that among conservatives. It is extraordinary the level of support that Donald Trump continues to enjoy. And the US economy is doing really nicely. Growth is good. Uh, Unemployment is at a record low. The stock market is up. And most people have their, if they've got a pension pot, it will be in the stock market. And the stock market has risen something like 30% since he came to power. So people are feeling pretty good about that. America is not getting involved in new wars. He's trying, Donald Trump is trying to bring troops home from abroad. So they're kind of thinking, you know what? We're at peace. The economy's doing nicely. I've got a little more money to spend in my pocket. I'm liking. I, I, I may not like all that Donald Trump tweets. I may not like all the fights, but I'm feeling pretty good about life. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From being the youngest ever captain of the Wales rugby team to leading the Lions on their famous tour of New Zealand, his CV is very impressive indeed. His new book, Open Side, is out this Thursday and here with everything you need to know about leadership. Please welcome the rugged rugby rogue himself, Sam Warburton. Good morning, Sam. <laughs> morning, boys. Welcome, welcome. You said it was going to be a surprise. You said it could keep it a surprise intro, and I like the song choice as well, What a Man as well. Yeah, but yeah. Not that I agree with it, but so, no, yeah, thank so you. You're, you're happy so far. Very happy. Oh, okay. You've flattered me so far. Yeah, so so you, obviously you've t- it's turned out you've turned out to be quite good at rugby, all right? Well, you're quite good at anything else uh, as a kid. I know, you, I know you excelled at football, uh, but to what extent were you good at all sports? Were you, were you an all-rounder? Oh, I did a little bit of athletic. Yeah, I did a bit of athletics. I was one of those kids who would just play absolutely anything. I had a twin brother, which was kind of probably the reason I think why I made it to the top because we just played sport from the age of four. You're constantly honing those fundamental motor skills from a young age, playing anything you can do. But yeah, I think being a twin brother plays a big part of uh, me getting the top level sport. When you played football footy against Gareth Bale, and he was nine, okay, and you were nine-ish. Yeah, we were yeah. the same class in secondary school. Okay. Crazy coincidence. All right, so so you played against Gareth Bale. Was he so obviously so much better than everybody else at football? It's a good question. Um, when you're 11, 12, 13, you have no idea what a Premier footballer looks like because yeah. you've obviously never seen one before. It sounds a stupid thing to say, but in hindsight, looking back, is it was 
blatantly obvious. No one was absolutely anywhere near him. So it's funny now you say, well, obviously he was going to make it as a top-level pro, but you have no idea at the time. And did you have the same effect on the rugby pitch with your classmates? Could Because you, you, you could see it from somebody else's point of view. You could see he was so much better. When you are better yourself, are you as aware of it? Um, I always had this, like... In the back of my mind, I, I was going to play for the Lions no matter what happened. So I always had that kind of belief in myself. What age? I reckon I was about 14 when I decided I was going to do it and nothing was going to get in my way. So, um, yeah, I was it's hard to say something sounding arrogant. I was always a good player, you know, growing up. I knew I was one of the better kids, you know. But um, I think the reason I thought I was going to make it more than anyone else was because I had the sort of mindset and obsession to do so and dedication to do so. So that's why I think I did it. Tell us about calling your mum and sometimes calling your mum and your dog. Do you know what? This was a good idea when I was doing the book and now it's coming out in all the papers. I sound like a really big girl that I was calling my mummy in the night. <laughs> but uh, no, I basically said before the, the second test, oh, people look at sportsmen like you live in the dream, which you are. Like, you know, you are very, very privileged. But the pressures that come with it, and for me, I found in particular, perhaps the pressure I put on myself... I was on the phone to my mum, remember, I was just like, if there was a way of escaping this, I would do it. And obviously, like, you were never going to. I was never going to, but that's how you feel so many times in big games. And speaking to ex-sportsmen and current sportsmen, it's actually very common. And it's not even sport. I'm sure it's the same in most lines of work, you know, that it's almost the higher up you go, sometimes the less enjoyable it is because it, in sport because it comes a becomes a cutthroat, ruthless performance like environment where you have to succeed. So... You know, sometimes the enjoyment goes, but in hindsight, when you do get wins, obviously it outweighs all the negative. And then just the, 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 the day that you think you're going to make your Wales debut and don't, you're on your phone to your mum, you, you, you cry a little bit. It's so open, this book. It's a good title open side because you do, you lay it all open. Mum, I say, can you put Ted on? <laughs> I forgot I even put that in there. Um, Oh, yeah, I didn't get capped, and I uh, I had a dog who was called Ted after Teddy Sheringham because I'm a big Tottenham Hotspur fan. So, um, I, and he talks. Like, as a dog, like I can make noises, and I make him talk. You know, and he'd sing the Coronation Street. He was just, like, one of these weird dogs, you know. But uh, I put it, my mum put him on the phone, and I could talk to him, and he started howling back at me, and I was just in tears. I was gone. But, yeah, it's called... <laughs> that, sorry, that's hilarious. That's, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I love that. Uh, no, I love it too, but it's mostly hilarious. Yeah. I think that's why, the, that's why they called it Open Side. They, they were going to call the book something like Too Big, Too Fast, Too Strong, you know, all rugby macho. Yeah. But then as I started talking, they're like, flipping out, this is so um, probably unusually honest to the point where you're not going to get embarrassed about the things that you're thinking. Open Side then came up with the names. Well, that's actually quite fitting. All right. Okay. Now, you do talk about leadership in your book here, um, and there are seven passages about leadership uh, within um, this this book, Open Side. And have you been taught these? Have you been on courses to do with leadership? Because you're you, you by your own admission in the book, you're not a natural leader, and it didn't sit comfortably on your shoulders. Yet by the end of the book, you seem like a... Like, you know, a, a genius leader to me. It's weird. I always say there's, you know, you get leaders and then you get captaincy, which are very different things. Leadish, leader, I was always a leader in the sense of my competitive nature, the way I performed, my professionalism. But then being a captain, then you've got to become the diplomat, the role model in public, dealing with press, team tactics. It was quite different, captain and leader. But yeah, I had to develop my leadership and captaincy skills. I, well, it sounds like a embarrassing thing to admit because some people find it but to say he was a sports psychologist you know I seeked every edge I could I used a guy called Andy McCann who was brilliant and he kind of made me 
sort of look at captaincy from a different angle and really focus on the things which I thought were going to make me a good captain. So yeah, having help along the way at a young age, I did it when I was 22, was really helpful. And on the subject of positivity, and you mentioned Andy, who who helps you with stuff like this. I was fascinated when you said that you can recover, you could will yourself to recover quicker from injury. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, so uh, I got injured and I had an injury which meant to be... A lot. You yeah, got injured a lot. I got lot. injured a lot. I had seven operations. Neck, jaw, eye socket, knee, shoe. You, oh, you, you once played 78 minutes of a rugby union international with a broken Get jaw. Get back on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I, did. I need to howl with him now. <laughs> oh, that was... I played South Africa after 25 seconds I fractured my jaw and I played the whole game with a broken jaw and I had oh, no idea about it. Surgeon touched me after the game. He touched an area of my chin and I nearly hit him. Just, just not because I'm that sort of person, just from pain and he went right you need to go to A&E quick and I've got a plate in there but um yeah so oh, sorry the, so the, uh, yeah, the so recovering from injury just by yeah. so you said you imagined you imagined the anatomy of the of the bit in this case the calf that was injured yeah that's right and no, you so, build yourself back in time well, I spoke to my physio and he was like the head of medical um at, at the Welsh Rugby Union he said mate I totally believe in this that you know people always say about the power of the mind don't they so I used to I learned about my injury the anatomy of the injury the blood flow, all this stuff. And then I used to go and visualise my calf healing every day, twice a day. And it was meant to be a four or five-week injury, and I was back playing New Zealand in two weeks. So um, it sort of, you know, I went against all sort of medical opinion and got back in time. Sam, good luck. Thank you very much, good guys. Lovely no, to brilliant. meet you. Thanks for being here. Always no, liked awesome. you on the telly, always liked you on the field. Nice to meet you in person. Ah, great, me too. And we, we have to ask you who's going to win the World Cup just before we go. Uh, the one team we're going with, and I hate saying this because it's so open, I think there's three teams who can win it, but I've just been going with South Africa. Don't know why, but I've said South Africa. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He is the firecracker of British motor racing, a thorn in the side of anything considered the norm. His autobiography, How Not to Be a Professional Racing Driver, is out tomorrow and covers everything from a night behind bars in Monaco to swearing at royalty on the M42. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please... Please welcome driving genius and cheeky chappy, Jason Plato. Morning, Jason. Morning, 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 You've boys. had some of the chocolate. It's great, isn't I, it? I love that. And you've just sprung the surprise that you're playing golf at quarter past one this afternoon. Yes, I am, yeah. So I, more crash helmets needed for the crowd. Well, without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah, I've got a bit of a twitch on because I've not swung a weapon in, in a year. It's only 40,000 people yeah, watching. Yeah, it'd be fine. It'd be it. fine. Yeah. A chocolate crash helmets. Do you have a collection of those? I do, actually, yeah. Yeah, you tend to get a new one every year or two every year. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, there's quite a few in my mum and dad's place. In fact, probably one of my favourite ones is is an old karting helmet when I was 12. I've yeah. still got that. It says it says in the book, you burst onto the karting scene. How does one burst onto the karting scene? <laughs> well, it all started... Um, my dad was a motor dealer and uh, someone owed him a few hundred quid and they did they, they couldn't pay him. So, that you know, they had an old racing car. So he said, right... I'll have that. A cart? Yeah, an old zip, cart. Was yeah. it a zip cart? No, it wasn't. It was a. It was an old BM chassis with a bull taco engine. I mean, it was a, like, 1977 type thing. Right. And I was 11. Uh, and in, in 1980, uh, at the end of 1979, we used to drive around the pet petrol pumps when the garage was shut on a weekend. And one thing led to another. And I said, can I, you know, can I have a go? And he said, yes. And that was it. So did uh, you really shout at Prince Charles? Yeah, I did. I did, yeah. But did you notice him? Uh, I, I did once I'd pulled the, the two fingers oh. uh, and, 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 it, and the words were coming out of my mouth and I saw his face in the passenger now, window. It's in, it's in the book. Do you know how much you want to say about what happened? 
Uh, well, yeah, I can tell the story because, I mean, it, it's, an, it's an amusing story. In fact, I'm dying to meet him just to find out if he remembers it because I think he might actually. Well, we, I... we know a woman who knows him quite well. <laughs> he was, I was going, I was leaving L- London and it was 1997 uh, uh, and I was just starting driving for w- w- Williams. So any PR job which so this came is Formula up, One? No, no, this is... is British touring cars in '97. Right. You, you did drive for British Formula One, didn't you? No. Te- didn't you test for them? No, I, I did a test in a car, yeah, but not not like a proper proper All right, okay. test. Sorry. And um, so anyway, any PR job that came up, I was like, you know, <laughs> like the panting dog. I'll do that. I'll do that. So anyway, I had to charge down to so somewhere down near Ringwood to go and put petrol in people's cars at an Elf petrol station. So anyway, I'm, I'm in my me, me, me Renault Laguna V6 in British Racing Green. Nice. Charging down the M... <laughs> it was the M3, actually, not the M42. For some reason, they've got that wrong in the book. But um, anyway, this Range Rover behind was, 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 you know, giving me lots of headlights and flashing. And I was overtaking some cars, doing a little more than 70, it has to be said. And uh, anyway, I took umbrance to this because I thought, well, you know, I'll pull over when I'm past this car. So I, I gave it a little brake test just to say, look, just back away. Not recommended. Not recommended. No. I mean, all these things, a lot of things in the book are not to be are not to be done. Yeah. Anyway, to cut a long story short, <laughs> as he came to it overtake, to be the future king of England. Yeah, as he as he came to overtake, or this person started to overtake, I kind of timed my body reaction to turn around and give him the big whatever. You know, and uh, and it was only that once the fingers had started to oh, move, yeah. then did I see his who it was in his face, <laughs> and it was Prince Charles, and and he looked at me with this. I can remember the look. It was it was almost like a, a look of horror, but amusement. But don't you have a CBE or something? Don't you have a? No, I'm Surpri- surprised I, though. Cal surprise. Vassos is desperate for you to tell the Michael Schumacher story. It's just, I mean. If you'd said to me, list, a mi- and I know you, Jason, right, yeah. list the million stories that Jason might have included in the book. And I, you haven't ever told me this personally, by the yeah, way. Yeah. This is just, it's so surprising on lots of levels. I know, it's, it's outrageous. <laughs> Go on, it? then. Well, we're at the Race of Champions, which is a, an invite event where they get lots of drivers from around the world. Tw- tw- 20 invited drivers to, to race in buggies in a stadium. And we were in, in D- Dusseldorf. Anyway... On the Friday night, there's an event called the the, the, the the Nations Cup, which is countries against countries. And at the end of that night, there's obviously the first big party. And most of the events take place in the afternoon or evening. So you've got plenty of time to recover. Anyway, we're in this party and my teammate, a guy called Andy Prio, his, his wife had turned up. And she got a little bit excited, so I had to pop her to bed because she was just a bit wonky. And, <laughs> and, and just before he was about to leave, he turned around and he said, watch him. And I've turned around and I'm kind of looking around the room, this little private room, and I'm like, well, who? He said, Michael, watch him. He's got a look, look in his eye. I've seen this before. Just be careful. I'm like, what? Anyway, off he goes. I then got back to the bar, speaking to some pals, and w- within 10 mi- minute minutes, the, the back of my trousers flew off. And his party piece is to sneak up behind you and in one movement he puts his hands in in your back pocket of your jeans and just rips them down and the back of your leg just flies off and you're left with this, this huge, great, big chap. Well, I felt like he, I'd been assaulted, so I turned round and he's now tying my trouser leg round his head like a, like a trophy. Michael Actual Schumacher. Michael Actual Schumacher, yeah. 
So I, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I thought I thought it was a fight. So I jumped on him, <laughs> and I'm trying, and we're, we're scrapping on the floor. And I'm, I'm thinking, and he's giggling. I'm thinking this, this is a bit weird. <laughs> so I've, I've ripped his shirt, his, his, his collar, and a, and a sleeve off his shirt, and then stood back up and tied it round my head. And we start gigg- giggling. And I'm thinking this is, this is a bit odd. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. And then, and then, and then for the rest of the night. He just ran around ripping people's clothes off. I mean, it was, I know, you know, and then Soph arrived and Soph like, looked at me and said, What's gone? What's Jason's happened to you? wife, Sophie Jason's wife. Yeah. And um, she said, What, you know, what, what's happened? And Michael's jumped and he said, oh, Just come with us, watch, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so then we, we shot around the room taking people's trousers off with, with one swift move. And Soph said, It's time for bed. We got to well, go. She was right. <laughs> she and, was. And she's always right. Right. So, yeah, just a very surreal... But, you know, he was great fun to be around. Uh, Jason's already number one in his category on Amazon. Jason Plato, how not to be a professional racing driver. And you just got a little bit of a snatch of it there, didn't you? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She is an award-winning PhD in gut health who can help you say bye-bye to bloating, help with the stress of IBS, and give a big warm welcome to wellness. Her first book, Eat Yourself Healthy, is out tomorrow and here to tell us exactly what's yummy for our tummy. It's the gut doctor herself, Dr. Megan Rossi. All right, Dr. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. These are so beautiful. Okay, we're going to take lots of photographs before we pile into them. Vassa's already had a good go at what, Vassa? She's gone for... I've gone for the sesame... The spice and chickpea sesame crackers. With, um, with dips. Which are stunning. Um, also, the best chocolate I've ever had, the prebiotic chocolate bar. Tell us about this, please, if you don't mind, Megan. Yeah, so that actually came at Easter time. Uh, and that inside of us, we have trillions of microbes, including the bacteria. Uh-huh. And the science, just in the past 10 years or so, have really uncovered that these bacteria in our gut is really the key to health and happiness. Mm-hmm. So these bi- uh, bacteria can talk to our brain, to our liver, to our heart, etc. And at Easter time, I was thinking, you know what? I want to nurture these bacteria. And white chocolate's my favorite food. So what I've done is turned my white chocolate, my favorite food, into a food that not only I enjoy my taste buds, but one that my bacteria will enjoy. And how I've done that is added in prebiotic foods. So they're foods that the bacteria really like to eat. So like the pistachios, the dried mango, and also some extra virgin olive oil, which is high in these plant chemicals, again, which the bacteria love. And keeping the bacteria happy has been shown to you know improve things like mental health, heart health, and so many other assets. Okay, it's stunning to look at this white chocolate. Um, you've tasted some now, Rachel. It's delicious. It's the best chocolate I've ever had. Is that is that all good for us? It's a mix. So it's good for your taste buds and good for your gut bacteria. Okay. And that's what it's all about. It's not being looking after your gut bacteria. It's not about being restrictive. It's actually just about adding inclusions in. So you can still have your favourite well, treat foods. Well, you keep adding. You keep adding. It's fine <laughs> by me. Is a recipe for that in your book? Absolutely is. Did you make that yourself today? Yeah, just this morning. You did not. It literally takes five minutes, I swear. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is so good. That's the thing. Of Healthy all... eating does not need to be complex and complicated. Oh, no, but it's so beautiful, though. Right, now, <laughs> these are the prettiest crackers of all time, the spicy chickpea and sesame crackers. Now, your book is more about, you know, about this sort of the, the, the science behind the gut, but it does have these killer recipes in as well. Um, 
These are beautiful. Yeah, uh, how do you make you. how do you make these? Again, just mixing together a range of different seeds and adding some chickpeas and so a range of different herbs and spices. And I think with the book, one of the aspects of it is yes, it explains you know what these bacteria can do for us, but also the practical aspects, i.e., what do we feed them? And that's why I put the recipes in there. Um, okay. And one of the key concepts is around diversity, which is why you've seen that there's a range of different colours because the bacteria in our gut love all different types of plant-based foods, which is things like the whole grains, the nuts, the seeds, the vegetables and the fruit. Right, back the truck up now for banana fig and courgette breakfast loaf. All right? Yes, please. Okay, tell us about this, please. So that there um, is loaded with dietary fibre. Now, dietary fibre, I think a lot of people have heard about it, but essentially it's the back bone of all our plant foods. So any plant-based food, things like whole grains, whether it's wheat, oats, you know, legumes, all contains this dietary fiber. And dietary fiber is so important to get because essentially it's food for our good bacteria. Humans can't digest fiber. The bacteria can, and it keeps them really happy. In fact, an extra eight grams of fiber a day has been shown to reduce your risk of heart disease by 19%, your risk of um, type two diabetes by 15%, and your risk of colon cancer by 8%. Right, let's um, have all that then. That's all in the basket. DIY granola. Yeah. By the way, how nice is the cake we just had? Breakfast cake? Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, and it, I've snuck in some courgette and carrot in there. Okay. So I love a hidden vegetable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DIY granola. I love granola. It's great, isn't it? You can it eat it like popcorn. Yeah, add it onto some yogurt. But the thing oh. is, a lot of the commercial stuff is just really high in added sugar. Oh, you can, I know, absolutely. Yeah, so again in here I've snuck in some legumes and some dried carrot. And you don't even know that you're having it. So here you're getting in all these different types of oh. plant-based ingredients. Who doesn't um, love all this stuff? And what's crazy about you is, I mean, we get lots of people in here who know their onions, right? But you are talking about this so comprehensively. How come you, how come you got into gut health? So I actually grew up on a farm in Australia. So, right. you know, my upbringing was very much in line with looking after your gut. We had fresh fruit and veggies. I played in the dirt, which again exposes you to more of the good bacteria. But actually my first conscious encounter with the gut was when my um, grandma actually passed away of bowel cancer. So it was certainly not a positive one. It was quite negative and, and she had a big part of my upbringing. So I, I really hated How the gut so you? much. How old were you? I was 17. So you, so you, so the, so you said, right, I'm going to do everything I can to vanquish the, the nemesis that can be the wrong kind of gut. Yeah, absolutely. So I then um, studied nutrition and dietetics and it wasn't until I started working with sick people, things people who had things like kidney disease and heart disease, that I actually started to have those thoughts around the gut come back again. And what people were um, showing me is that they had disease in other parts of the gut, yet they're all complaining of gut symptoms. And I was thinking, what the hell is it about this bloody organ? And there wasn't much research um, out at the time. So, you know, I did what any crazy 21-year-old would do and signed away my early 20s to do a PhD to understand whether we nurture the gut through the right nutrition, whether that could then improve the health of other organs. And it was a successful trial. So it really is blowing our mind. It's a major landmark scientific discovery that these microbes can improve the health of the other organs, including our mental health. All right, Dr. Megan, great to have you here. Dr. Megan Rossi, the gut health doctor, buy this book. Buy, how much is it? It's $16.99. You probably get it for a tenner somewhere, 11 quid. They do discounts this time of year. If you've got a spare 10 or 20 quid, get this book. Help yourself get this book. Great. Um, come, come back before Christmas. I will. That'd Thank be you amazing. so much, No, you're guys. very welcome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guests have brought to life in harrowing detail an event that shook the world. On the 26th of November 2008, India would be changed forever with the imminent release of the Sky original Hotel Mumbai detailing the events that unfolded. Please welcome Director 
Anthony Mara and stars Nazanin Boniardi and Jason Isaacs. Good morning, guys. Well, technically, Good morning. Good it's morning. Nazanin and me because Anthony's in the loo, He's but he will be loo. back in a second. He's enjoying an extended comfort break. Isn't he? Yeah. It might, what would happen if you were late on his set like he's late on ours? You'll hear. He's got a voice that's nine octaves deeper than us, and yes. uh, you jump when he speaks. So yeah. I'd be very scared. Right, Hotel Mumbai. We've seen uh, the finished article. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. Have, have you both seen it? Ten times. Ten many, times. many times. But yeah. uh, what did you think? Obviously, well, we think it's great. Uh, we, I mean, we came out shocked and stunned, as one would uh, imagine. Um, it's a very dramatic recreation of very dramatic events. That, that anyhow, I mean, how does how does one talk about this? You know, I want to talk to Anthony about why he made it, why it was made in the first place, why not, of course. Uh, but how, how do you two talk about it? When, well, when I can answer for him because I've done a thousand press conferences yeah. with him. Yeah. All right, Jason, off you go. There's a documentary called Surviving Mumbai. Right. And he was uh, inspired, by, inspired is a much off to use word, but uh, I think it's appropriate here, by the stories of how people survived and how people helped each other and how the hotel staff, these very lowly paid, uh, humble people with families, ended up rescuing the millionaires and billionaires uh, from the gunmen and how for the three days that they were trapped in there uh, this community of people from every walk of life from every ethnic group and religious group and, and socioeconomic group banded together and basically gave the lie to the toxic nonsense we hear coming out of the White House and everywhere else which is that there's more that divides us than unites us instead people really helped each other and human beings proved that when the chips are down we're essentially good and uh, generous and uh, so he then he spent a year or two researching it and meeting all the survivors uh, and uh, wanted to tell the story, which is a difficult thing to do uh, on film, to raise money to tell a story. Really difficult and really brave as well, you know. And the, thing, the two things that came out at me immediately um, was how, how much life gets in between things that have happened in the past. And, you know, uh, and vicariously, therefore, we begin to forget very quickly. Yeah. And I didn't realise um, that, A, it was 2008, it was 11 years ago, and B, that it lasted three days. I was really surprised about Yeah, and those. that's rare, isn't it? Because most terror attacks happen and then you're dealing with the aftermath, and this is something that happened for 68 hours of, of pure carnage. Um, and to put ourselves in, in the, the shoes of those people was quite harrowing. It's also, I'm glad he's not here, but I can say that it's the, the most remarkable debut I've ever seen of a director yeah. because you're, it feels like you're watching a David Lean film or something. It's yeah. so, it's, I mean, the, the content aside, which is incredibly moving and powerful, just the craft on display is, yeah. is mind-boggling. It's hard to believe he's a first-time feature director. Don't repeat that when he gets back. He'll like it much too if much. If he ever comes back. <laughs> no, no, probably not. I mean, that's the thing. That's what we've got to wonder. Uh, but also, 2008, if you think about technology at the time, I mean, it's come on leaps and bounds since then. It was the beginning of, you know, um, mobile phones, videos, mm. things like that. It was the beginning of rolling news wasn't it uh, as we know it today you know had it been had it been more recent it could have been a lot worse couldn't it because the terrorists embraced what they could as far as because because they had people their mass, so-called masterminds which is far too grandiose a term for them but right. i suppose that's what they're referred to often uh, watching the rolling news and yeah. getting getting information from the news that would help them to make things worse for the victims, the potential victims. Yeah, finding out where, where the people, are, where the guests are located, where the staff's located, where they're hiding. Because um, some of the guests and the staff were trying to call, you know, the press and, 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 or the police and trying to find ways to escape. And of course, that was a dead giveaway. 
They were also, luckily, talking to their relatives who were watching the news and advising them how to hide from the terrorists. So it was this game of cat and mouse it played for three days. Uh, right, Anthony's returned from his comfort Welcome break. Welcome back, Anthony. Um, <laughs> good morning, Anthony. Good morning, how are you? Oh, very well. Welcome back. Thank you. From your extended comfort break. Yeah, um, well, you know, these things happen. Right, Hotel Mumbai. Okay, a recreation of the dramatic events that happened uh, during a three-day standoff from the 26th to the 29th of November back in 2008 and this terrorist attack uh, 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 surrounding this particular hotel in the end, which is where uh, a lot of the victims, uh, that they, they ran for refuge to this hotel and then they became... Uh, there, there was a siege with the hotel. It was the terrorist plan all the time to kettle as many potential victims into this hotel hotel and there they had them behind closed doors and they were literally sitting ducks and Anthony's decided to make this film about it so why why not of course always but why particularly then how the heck did you get it to happen um I think more than anything I was just totally taken aback by these stories of regular everyday people having to stand up and protect one another when there was no help um no help coming the whole city uh, Mumbai over 20 million people um, maybe about 25 if you count the undocumented ones. More than all of the country that I come from, more than the entire population of Australia in this city. And it was just completely taken down. And because the security forces weren't there, you know, to help quick enough, you had chefs, you had waiters, you had uh, backpackers, you had wealthy guests, all having to be there for one another. And, you know, we do hear a lot about the things that divide us. This is an example of people coming together in the face of sheer horror and overcoming it and being all the stronger for it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.